Hey everybody. Hello. How's everybody doing? Good. Good. Have y'all seen Callie Mae? No. Can y'all help me find her? She said she showed me something she learned from the Bible if I was here by 1035. <laughs> well, it's already that time. Hey everybody. Oh, hey Josie. Yeah. I think I saw her playing with... What? what in the world was that? What was that? Hey, what's going on here? Oh, great. Now I have to pull this doll back up again. <sighs> ah. Callie Mae, what are you doing? I'm pulling my sister's doll back up. Okay, but why have you tied your sister's doll to a piece of rope? Now you're dragging along the ground. Well, it's too heavy to carry. Yes, but uh-huh. what are you doing with the doll in the first place? I told you before, I'm pulling it back up here. Well, Callie Mae, would you stop being difficult? What are you doing with that doll, and where are you taking it? Oh, well, why didn't you just ask me that in the first place? Oh, brother. Well, I read in the Bible that if you got something you don't want, you put it in a basket and then throw it into the river. So all I need to do is find me a good-sized basket, and I'm all set. I don't suppose you happen to have a basket handy, do you? Oh, brother. Callie, man, I don't think you'll find anything like that in the Bible. Um, yep, it's in there. I heard about it last week at Sunday school. There was a family that had too many kids, so they got the youngest one, put him in a basket, then chunked it in the river. Probably because that kid cried too much, I think. That oh, sounded brother. like a pretty good idea to me, so I got Darn. my sister's crybaby oh, doll, my. the really, really annoying one, uh-huh. took the batteries out, and now I'm hauling it down to the river so I can chuck it in. And... You're interrupting me, by the way. You know I love the Bible. It's just full of great ideas like that. Oh, dear. Where do I start? First, I think you're talking about Moses. Is that the story you heard about? Sounds like it. Um, yeah, something like that. Moses and his big, mean sister. She sounds a lot like my sister, actually. Uh, well, let's get a couple things straight here, Callie Mae. Moses' family put him in a basket to protect him. Oh. Because they loved him very much and didn't want him to get hurt. It certainly wasn't because they didn't want him. Yeah? Well, how come if they loved him so much they chucked his basket in the river? Callie Mae! They gently placed his basket in the river and prayed that God would look after him because that was the only way they could think of to save him from the king's soldiers who were killing all little baby boys. Yeah, Callie Mae. They didn't chuck his basket into the water. Oh, so they won't just throw out stuff they didn't want? No, definitely not. In fact, they were really sad when they had to put their new baby into the river. So they prayed really hard that God would take care of them. So what happened to Moses? Did he get eaten by an alligator? 
Or a piranha, oh, baby? brother. Did he get washed over Niagara Falls? Didn't you finish reading the story in the Bible? No, I hadn't got that far yet, Josie. Oh, oh. my. No, he didn't. Although it was very dangerous for a baby to be by itself on the big river, sure God answered the prayers of Moses' family and looked after baby Moses. God made sure that someone really nice found Moses and took him home to care for him. Yeah. Wow. God did all that for a little baby? That's right, Kelly Mae. God really cares a lot for us, and that's why he always is with us. He said he'll never leave us or forsake us, no matter what. So that means we can always depend on him to be there for us and to help us. That's awesome. You you guys have really helped me to understand that story a lot better now. I guess I won't throw this doll to the river after all. Well, I think that's a very good idea. Throwing stuff into the river isn't a good thing to do anyway, no matter what it is, because if you do that, you aren't taking good care of the earth that God made for us. You should always put trash in the trash bin. Okay, I guess I better give this doll back to my sister then. Yes, sounds like a good idea. And you definitely shouldn't throw away anything that don't belong to you, neither. My goodness, Callie Mae, you were really confused this time, weren't you? Mmm, yep. Well, I'm glad God gave me friends like y'all to clear things up for me. I'll put all my trash in the trash bin, and I won't throw away things that don't belong to me. And most of all, I now know that God will be with me all the time. Thanks, Josie and Eddie, for helping me out again. Oh, you're You're welcome. welcome. Glad Mm -hmm. we could help. Yeah. I might even put the batteries back in my sister's dog. I gotta go. See y'all later. That sounds like a good idea. Bye, y'all. See you later. Amen. As our children uh, exit to uh, Children's Church, our pastor is getting ready to come today and bring forth the word. I ask that you bow your head so we can pray that God would anoint him today and that he would be with us to hear the word as he intended for it. Father, we thank you for this time together today, Lord. We thank you, God, for the worship that we've had so far in the spirit of your presence here today, Father. I pray that as Pastor Ron comes forth today, Lord, that you would anoint him, Father, to speak the word truly and freely, Father, and that you would open our hearts, Lord, to hear from you today. Lord, we ask that you would be with us in these remaining moments of this service, Father, and and teach us today, Lord, through your word. We give you all the glory and praise and honor. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Brother Chris. Um, This morning, most of you are aware of the fact that we're beginning a new series um, entitled The Fruit of the Spirit, or The Fruit of, yeah, The Fruit of the Spirit. I've got so many things going on this morning. Um, I'm going to be talking about the gifts of the Spirit a bit as well. but the, the series is about the fruit of the Spirit. This is one of those times when um, everything, well, not everything, but a lot of what I had intended to share um, went into the wastebasket. And um, I have to share what the Lord gave me overnight. Much of it is Scripture. 
But I want to share with you, if you would turn with me, Isaiah chapter 5. We're going to be talking much today for the next few moments about fruit. I love fruit, don't you? Um, not many kinds of fruit I don't like. Um, however, I think most of you are perceptive enough to know that the fruit that we're talking about today is not apples and oranges and pineapples and those types of things. It's something spiritual. And we'll get to Galatians chapter 5 in a few moments. But um, as I've already alluded, this is not exactly what I had intended, but I feel like it's what the Lord wants. Isaiah chapter 5, 700 years before Christ, the prophet, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, uttered these words. Isaiah chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. I don't know what your Bible might say, but in my Bible there's a, um, a heading, a caption that begins the chapter this way. God's disappointing vineyard. God's disappointing vineyard. So the word says, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. It's as if God is speaking now about his own vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower in its midst and also made a wine press in it. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. I'm certainly not an expert when it comes to grapevines. So maybe this morning I'll defer to our brother Roy <laughs> and get him to affirm with me that if he went and ordered very nice, cultivated, choice, sweet vines and planted them after clearing out the stones, choosing the best vines available, building a tower so he could watch over what was taking place there and protect his investment, was so sure of an investment, in fact, that he actually made a wine press there that when the grapes were harvested, there would be a place to take care of them. Even Roy would be disappointed when there were no big luscious grapes, but there were little scrawny wild grapes that were sour. Amen? So that's the picture we have here. That the Lord has planted his vineyard and he's done everything he can to ensure a harvest, but it brought forth wild grapes. Verse 3 Isaiah begins to give meaning to this scenario. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge, please, between me and my vineyard. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why then, 
When I expected it to bring forth good grapes, did it bring forth wild grapes? And now, please let me tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedge and it shall be burned. And break down its wall and it shall be trampled down. I will lay it waste. It shall not be pruned nor dug, but there shall come up briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain on it. And just to clarify, in case we hadn't been perceptive enough yet to grasp this, verse 7 says, For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant plant. He had great optimism. He had great hope. He had done so much for Israel and expected from them a harvest. He looked for justice, verse 7 says, but behold oppression. He looked for righteousness, but behold a cry for help. How many of you who are here this morning have this season planted some type of crop, beans, taters, onions, corn, squash, and it goes on and on, and you are looking forward to a harvest at some point? That's quite a number of you have done that already. If you invested in plants, if you invested sweat and time, if you made preparation and have done everything you know to do to ensure a harvest, if nothing comes up and you get no fruit, no beans, no corn, no squash, no cucumbers, no onions, nothing, you're going to be disappointed, aren't you? Before I'll go on, I think I'll just go ahead and declare to you that the Lord is looking to us, His church today, in the same way He looks at the vineyard. He has, and I think you'll agree with me, He has done everything really that He needs to do to ensure a harvest in this world that we live in. Amen? He... For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave his life for us. He's redeemed us. He has saved us. He's written our name in the Lamb's book of life. He has sanctified us and set us apart from the world and set us apart to himself. He has also filled us with his spirit and he expects from us certain things. If you believe that, would you say amen? He didn't invest all that into us for no reason. He invested into us the things I've just described, precious things, wonderful things, with the expectation that we would do and be what he's called us to do and be, and that is stand up for him, let our light shine, make a difference in this world, and bring others to him also, because it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to eternal life. If you believe that, would you say amen? And so we have this situation today, I believe, 
in the world of Christianity that is very similar to what happened in the Old Testament. God has great expectations of his people. God has done everything that needed to be done so that they could be successful in the Old Testament. And so then the question is asked, why is it that when I expected beautiful, luscious, sweet grapes and a wine press to put them in, why is it now that it's brought forth wild grapes? And then just to reaffirm in our minds where he's going with this, he comes in and he says, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. He's not talking about grapes. He's talking about people. And if we were to transfer this story into our day today, I think you would agree with me that God would be disappointed with what is happening today. And I'll use the term loosely now in his church among the people who call his name, the people who say they are the Lord's people. We would, I think, all agree that God is disappointed by what's happening in this world today. He's not pleased. He's disappointed. He's he's probably saying something very similar as to what Isaiah said in this passage. How could it be? How could it be that I give my only son and my son gives his blood and gives his life? And then I've given them the Holy Spirit of God and everything they could possibly need to be successful and productive and fruitful. But yet they're floundering and not much is happening and not much harvest is being seen. I think you would agree with me. The two scenarios are very similar. Now I'm going to turn to the sermon. Not my sermon, but Jesus' sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, and it's found in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew chapter 7. And just like on most Sundays, at some point in the sermon, the pastor will say, I'm coming in for a landing. We're getting ready to close. I'd like for the musicians to come. You know the conclusion is coming, right? When so, Well, you hope it's coming when something like that is said. Jesus, in chapter 7, begins to bring the conclusion to this sermon of his uh, before us. And in chapter 7, beginning at verse 13, Jesus concludes his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, with these words. Enter in by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there be many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there be few who find it. So he says in verse 15, as he's concluding this sermon, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. In other words, on the outside, Jesus says, there will be people who appear to be sheep, but inwardly they're as dangerous as a starving, mad, hungry wolf. Jesus says, talking about these who 
appear to be sheep, but are nothing more than wolves, and who will decimate and destroy the sheep if given a chance. Jesus said, you will know them by their fruits. Now that's where we're coming back to the, to the, to the fruit imagery. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes? How many have ever gone and picked grapes from a rose bush? None of us. How many have picked figs from the ramble bushes and the, what do you call it, the blackberries? No, it doesn't work that way. Jesus said, do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, now listen to what he says, every good tree bears what kind of fruit? Good fruit. But a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Again, he says that. In John 15, verse 1, just as an aside here, the Bible tells us, as Jesus is talking about how he is the vine and we are the branches, Jesus says, every branch that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He continues here in the conclusion to the Sermon on the Mount by saying, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I hope we've given enough foundation to understand that in the Old Testament, God had his eyes on a group of people, but they were not all God's people, were they? And they were all generally a disappointment to him. We've said the same about our day today. There is, there is a group that is recognized as the church. There's a group of people by the hundreds of thousands that are seated in churches all across America today. But I'll tell you this. That not all of those people who are seated in the churches today, not all people who have stand and sung today in these churches, not all these people who have given offerings in those churches, not everybody who's preached in those churches, not all of those people are going to heaven. Amen. So, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? That sounds a whole lot, if you know your Bible, that sounds a whole lot like the the, uh, gifts of the Spirit there. Does it not? Prophesying. Casting out demons and doing wonders. Sounds a whole lot like the gifts of the Spirit. They're doing things that look good. Things that seem to be productive. Things that seem to be helpful. But then Jesus says, not everyone who does that says, Lord, Lord shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. In heaven. And I will declare to them. Verse 23 says. I never knew you. Depart from me. 
ye who practice lawlessness. Now I'm going to go to the text in Galatians chapter 5. And I'd like for us to begin reading there. In um, verse 14. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. You have to wonder, don't you, why the Apostle Paul would have said this in verse 15. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. Isn't that a sad thing to have to write to a church? But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. But that launches him into this discussion about some some trouble spots. Some sinful activities, some things that disappoint God that he sees in the congregations that he's familiar with. He says then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish. Can anybody say amen to that? But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now what in the world might Paul be referring to? Well, he tells us in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are adultery... Fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, that is to say perversions, idolatry, sorcery. And most of us uh, say, well, we don't do any of that stuff there. And we kind of think, well, maybe we're going to get out of this. And then all of a sudden, Paul breaks into the second stanza. And he continues that list by saying hatred. And contentions, you know what, somebody's contentious, what does that mean? Hard to get along with, contentious. So he says there, there's hatred and there's contentious people and jealous people and there's outbursts of wrath and there's selfish ambitions and people want to elevate themselves and there's dissensions and heresies. And envy and murders and drunkenness and revelries and the like. All kinds of things. Because of the flesh, these things are existing among the the family of God. And again, loosely, the people of God. You're seeing these things because of the flesh. But then Paul continues by saying, of which I tell you beforehand... Just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me read that again because it's consistent with what Jesus said in the conclusion to his sermon. And it's also consistent with what Jesus said about cutting out branches that don't bear fruit. He says that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let me just 
pose this question to you and you give me the obvious answer. Are things, let's see, let's just skip adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, and sorcery. Let's skip those. Let's talk about the others. Things like hatred. Uh, he said, and such like. What about unforgiveness? Do you know what the Bible teaches about unforgiveness? That if I won't forgive somebody who sins against me, somebody help me out, God won't forgive me of my sins. Right? Now you see, we, we are gifted. We are gifted because we, as Christians, we see certain things, um, and we can easily pick up the stuff in other people's lives, can't we? We're gifted that way. We can see what's wrong in other people's lives. We can see where their attitude is wrong. We can see where they're messing up. We, we can see all kinds of things in other people's lives, but we can't see the stuff in our lives. We can identify some of these things at the first list, but we can also know of people among us who are not guilty of anything in the first part of that list, but who do have unforgiveness and do have hatred and are contentious and they're jealous and they break out into fits and cause all kinds of trouble and selfish ambitions and cause whisperings and dissensions and heresies and envies and, and all these other things. In other words, it's just not the first of the list. That is the, is the, the works of the flesh and bad news for the people of God. It's the whole list that's bad news for the people of God. It's just not the first part of the list that keeps us from being fruitful as a church or even as an individual. It is the whole list. The other things that we don't, we don't, we categorize sin, and these are big ones, and these are not so bad, but he put them all in the same boat. Now, what I want us to understand is those things are a big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'll soon be 62, and I've been in church all my life, probably about as much as anybody has who's age 62. Being raised in a pastor's home, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, maybe another night or two during the week, every revival, on and on and on it went. I've been in church a whole lot all my life. I've been around church people all my life, and I happen to know some of them have just been downright mean. Am I right? I've, I've known of liars in the church. I've known of... Um, People who were full of hate in the church. Even since I've been a pastor, I've known of people who would sit on one side of the church and would not speak to people on the other side of the church and would not forgive them for something that was said or done years back. And I got to tell you, when I look at this list and the way that he says they are just as much problematic to the success of a church as the adulterer is. Either one's going to keep us from bearing fruit, right? And so when I look at this, there's a contrast here. And I'm, I'm not talking about the works of the flesh in this series and not even necessarily this morning, except as a way to contrast those things with what God wants to see in us. God wants to see in us the fruit of the Spirit. 
Amen? In other words, if every one of us were one of God's plants, God wants to see us be alive and vibrant and successful and fruitful and have these qualities in our lives that the Lord Jesus Christ had in his life and modeled for us. Now let's read that list. Um, Galatians chapter 5 verse 22. Now we've looked at, we've looked at the, the works of the flesh. Now let's just lose that now. And let's focus our attention on what we're supposed to be. Not what we're not supposed to be. Verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. Wait a minute. My eyes jumped there. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And I've got to tell you, I'm excited over... Not next week, but following that to take each one of those and do a whole sermon on each one of those. I think we need that. We need to know what God is expecting from us, what he hopes to see in us, what he has designed for there to be in us based on the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Those are the things that we should be, those, that's the fruit that should be in our lives. Now fruit is something that you can see. I've told you, I've admitted it many times about many different things. I am ignorant about a lot of things. But even somebody like me can walk up to an apple tree. And if it's got apples on it, I know that's an apple tree. Now, during the wintertime, I couldn't, I don't have a clue, okay? I don't. I can't tell you an apple tree from an orange tree from a banana tree, a peach tree. I don't know. But if there's fruit on that tree, I've got it. I can identify it. I know what it is if there's fruit on it. Do you know that is the exact same thing that the Bible's talking here about the fruit of the Spirit? If you want to identify the people of God, then what you're looking for in people is love and joy and peace and so on and so forth. You know what? That puts us in a dangerous place in the church today because we see so many people filled with hate and contempt and unforgiveness and bitterness and all those things. Not not much peace at all sometimes. And, and those are the things that should identify us as God's people. Do you sense that something's going awry a little bit somewhere? And that we need to understand the word of God with regard to, I, I just, I just think this is extremely important the next few weeks to understand what God intends for us to have in our life. Love and joy and peace. Listen, let me just take joy for instance. The joy of the Lord is our Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. We're supposed to rejoice and we're supposed to have joy as Christians. Now, here's one thing, and we'll get to this later, but I I just want to give you an example. 
Our joy as Christians is not determined by what our circumstances are at home. Same thing with peace. Our peace as Christians doesn't, doesn't materialize just when everything has gone right that day. It's not that you have peace on a good day, but on a day when things haven't gone so well, you just go into the same quagmire of misery as the world does, who doesn't know Jesus. No, no, that's not it. Our, in First Peter, which was a time of great persecution, and, and Peter talks about that persecution and the trial of your faith and all the things that are happening. And though your faith be tried by fire, he says, that doesn't sound pleasant, does it? But then he says that we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, even in those times. So the peace that God gives and the joy that God gives and the love that God enables us with is, is not contingent upon our circumstances and how well things have gone. That peace is there all the time. That's why the Bible calls it a peace that passeth all understanding. That's what the Lord wants us to have. But then you have this, you have this contrast here. You have this, these two, two worlds that war in our lives because we read the Bible talked about that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. The flesh fights against the spirit and the spirit fights against the flesh. They struggle against one another. And I'll tell you the truth. And you know it to be the truth. There is a struggle in your life and in mine. Maintaining a walk with the Lord. Fellowship with Him that keeps us in a place where we are consistent in having love and joy and peace. If that's true, would you tell me amen? Amen. Sometimes it's not easy, is it, to manifest long-suffering. Sometimes we don't feel like being kind. Sometimes we might not be very good. Faithfulness sometimes is just something that eludes us. And gentleness and self-control is in short supply as well. But I want to tell you what, that is not acceptable to the Lord. The Lord requires from us better than that. Amen? What I'm trying to say, I guess, is this. That there is more to living for the Lord than just, just praying a prayer at some point in your life and going to church once in a while and then saying that you're a Christian. The Lord requires from us transformation, heart change. Romans 12, 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed, be not conformed to this world. Could everybody say conform? Don't be a conformist. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Be transformed. Be changed. Let God change your life. The Lord did not save us to leave us where He were, where we were. The Lord did not save us to leave us like we were. The Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and behold, all things have become new. 
And we have to understand that God wants to do a work in our lives. God wants to change us. God wants to transform us. But it will never, ever happen if we are committing half of those things on that list found previous that I've already read. If I'm harboring unforgiveness, if I've got hatred, if there are are uh, heresies and dissensions and contentions and and fornication and lewdness and perversions, all those things, those things cannot stand in our lives. Amen. Those things have got to go. Now we we look at the Bible and and. If our musicians will come ahead, we're going to close here. This is just an introduction for this study we're about to get into. But a lot of times, here's what we get excited about. As Christians, we get excited about the gifts of the Spirit. Am I right? Anybody get excited about the gifts of the Spirit? Well, I do, I tell you. I want to see God break out and do things. Don't you? I want to see the Holy Spirit just break out, as we used to say a long time ago, let the Lord have his way. But I got a feeling the Lord don't have his way an awful lot in church anymore. Not just here, but anywhere. Because there's so much of what we read about in Galatians 5, not the fruit of the Spirit part, but the lust of the flesh part. I, and I, I've said this before, I, I heard it from my dad, but when I was growing up, he would sometimes say, you can't, you can't live life all week, um, scratching around with the chickens and then fly like an eagle on Sunday. You can't live like a buzzard and eat dead stuff all week and then come and fly like an eagle on Sunday, right? You, you have to, if you gotta walk the walk, right? You gotta live the life. I mean, how do, how do you think the Lord must feel if the only time he hears from us is on Sunday morning at church? And then we want him to just pour out his blessings all over us. And we hadn't talked to him in a week. That's, that's not right. And so what we have to do is to, we have to take seriously our walk with him. Now, I happen to believe uh, that the Bible teaches that things are going to get more difficult and the, the world scene is going to get darker and bleaker and worse as time goes on. Oh, yeah. I believe the Bible teaches that. And I'm going to tell you what, Christians are going to have to dig in. We're going to have to dig in. Being a Christian, being committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, it's going to have to be more than just lip service for us. We're going to have to be committed to the Lord. We're going to have to Step it up, aren't we? With our commitment, our desire, the, 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 the drive, the passion, the faithfulness that we have for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you this, I, I believe there's some things in our lives that's going to have to go. There's some habits. There's some things we do that are contrary to God's word. There's some grudges. There's some unforgiveness. There's some tendencies that we have. I, I sometimes, I sometimes hear people just in a conversation, just ripping other people apart like piranhas. I know that's not God. That shouldn't be. 
And we should be people of love. We should be people who are committed to the Lord. People who want to be like Jesus. And what exemplified Jesus in his walk? Love and joy and peace and long-suffering. Listen, long-suffering means we're going to have to learn to suffer long. Some of us have a fuse that's about this long. And boy, let something happen. Let somebody say something or do something. We don't even know what long-suffering is. Man, we're ready to go off anytime. And sometimes we, we're going to have to learn to be a little patient and long-suffering. And kind and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness, self-control. Oh, I'm looking forward to these because they tell us more about our Lord and what he expects from us. But I was just sharing with you how that many of us get more excited about the gifts of the Spirit than we do bearing fruit. Bearing fruit can be hard work. Let me ask you this. Several of you raised your hands a few moments ago about you had planted a garden. How many either pulled a muscle or broke a sweat working in the garden this year? Anybody? Oh my goodness. A bunch of people. Think of, wait a minute now. Think about that. Bringing the harvest is hard work, isn't it? There's work involved. So we don't get too Excited about the fruit of the Spirit because there's work involved. Sometimes change doesn't come instantly and sometimes change doesn't come easily, but change will come through the grace of God as we depend on Him. And we have to do that. But then you go to the gifts of the Spirit. How many like gifts? I mean, how, how, don't you like just to get something for no reason? I mean, it might not, not even be, listen, if I'd walk up to you and hand you a hundred dollar bill this morning, you'd probably like it. Love it. Eddie would love it. I mean, it, it, you don't work for a gift. You don't have to do anything for a gift. You just, the, the giver bestows this upon you because of his love or whatever. A, a gift is, yeah, we get excited about the gifts of the spirit. People can talk about the gifts of the Spirit, but you know, here's what the Bible says about the gifts and about love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 1, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, that is gifts now, right? Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass. Or clanging symbol. Here's another gift. And though I have the gift of prophecy. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. Here's another gift. And even though I have all faith. Now if you're familiar with the gifts of the spirit. We're reading them here. Faith. The gift of prophecy. Tongues. All those things. He says. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, that's listed as well, and have all faith, that's one of the gifts, so that I could move mountains. If I have not love, I am nothing. Romans 12 records another gift that is given. Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, there is the gift of giving. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. 
chapter 13, verse 8 says, love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, and it goes on. It ends in verse 13, that chapter does, by saying, And now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Is love. I will submit to you that the, the gifts of the Spirit are hampered, sometimes ineffective, and don't accomplish what God would like for them to, and we don't even receive them sometimes because the fruit is not there. Does that make sense? Like I said, I, I didn't, I didn't start just three months ago in this walk with the Lord and knowing Christians and personal growth and as well as watching others. I have seen times when people were all worked up about the gifts of the Spirit and they weren't living right. I could see things in chapter five in the, in that list of the works of the flesh. And I knew there was a lot of things there that was fruit that you could see on their tree. And it wasn't desirable fruit either. Amen? Yes. And that kind of erased anything else that they could ever do because that was getting in the way of people's perception and what they saw. What I'm trying to say is the fruit of the Spirit is so very important and actually needs to be there before we'll be effective in any other way with the Lord. Amen? Yes. If I hate my brother, if I won't forgive, if I'm not faithful, if I'm all, all those things, it has a way of coming home. We live, at least in my view, in a time that is talked about in Scripture, a time when a lot of people would be lukewarm. What did the Bible say that Jesus would do to the lukewarm? Spew you out of his mouth. Or spew me out of his mouth if I'm the one who's lukewarm. I have to tell you as a pastor, I am burdened at the lackluster way sometimes that we serve the Lord. At a time when we're closer right now than we've ever been to the coming of Jesus Christ to this earth. Closer than we've ever been to the rapture. And I still believe in the rapture. Yes. Closer than we've ever been to the second coming. And I do believe that. We should be more prepared now than we've ever been. But because of the activity of the enemy among us, I don't mean just right here, I mean all over. Satan is at work in this world, folks. And we've got Christians by the millions, Christians in name, that don't know a thing about the fruit of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit.
We're living in a day when we need God to help us. Amen. I'm going to ask you to sing this, this old song with me as we prepare just a moment to pray. Brother Chris will be coming to lead us in prayer. Would you sing this with me? Let's stand together. Hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Oh, hold to his hand, God's unchanging hand. Build your hopes on pass away. Not one jot or two will pass away till all be fulfilled. And the best thing you can do and the best thing I can do is get my eyeballs in the Word of God and start reading what the Bible says and not listen to what culture tells me to do and what's right and what's wrong. It's recorded right here. Amen. Hold to His hand God's unchanging hand
Amen. It's good to know that in the midst of turmoil in this world, that there is an unchanging hand and that we know because of the word of God, we know the end of the story and that God will win. And when it's all over, bow your heads as we pray. Father, we thank you for this time today. Lord, we thank you for the word that you brought forth and for Pastor Ron allowing himself to be a vessel to bring that word today. Father, I pray that as we enter into this series and sermon over the next few weeks, that you would open our hearts, Father, to reflect upon ourselves, Lord, that we would show the gifts of the Spirit, that we would show the fruit of the Spirit, Lord, not only in this church, Lord, but to each and every person that we come in contact with. So, Lord, as we start with love today, Father, I pray that we would go forth and that we would show love to one another, to our neighbors, Lord, to show that you are still in control, Father, and there are still Christians that believe in the Word. Father, be with us and keep us safe until you bring us back at our next appointed hour. For we give you the glory, honor, and praise. In your name we ask these things. Amen.